Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be talking with Diana of Fix Long Beach, which is an organization dedicated to spay, neuter, and rescue in Los Angeles and Orange Counties. Their goal is to reduce the number of dogs and cats that are needlessly euthanized and surrendered into local shelters by educating and providing veterinary services to families who could not normally afford them. This is a rescue that is near and dear to our hearts, so we're so excited to get into this. Hey, Diana, how are you? Hi, good. How are you? Excellent. It's a nice rainy day uh, schedule here in, in Long Beach. Yeah, unexpected. I thought we were having sun this week, but I guess not. It's been doing that lately. It's not spring. Well, I guess it is spring, but it's like it's holding out and onto that like gloomy weather. Yeah. <laughs> so we're super honored, not only because you're such a great organization, but because we love featuring our hometown heroes. Were you always like a big animal lover? Did you have a lot of animals growing up? Yeah, so I've always had animals. And I wanted to start by saying thank you. We've worked really closely with Cuddly with a very unexpected situation. I think in December 2019, we took in a really horribly abused dog. And Cuddly reached out and said, this is how we can help you. And we formed a great partnership. And it has been it's been a great relationship and everyone was so helpful and supportive. And we tell everyone that we come in contact with about Cuddly. So we're just super thankful for everything you guys do and all the support you've provided us. So thank you for having me and thank you for being around and being so supportive. We really, it really makes a huge difference. I mean, we're so honored to, I mean, Especially in that case, like it was such a horrible abuse case and just in our own backyard. It's one thing when you hear about something like across the world and you're like, well, different cultures, different, whatever. But for us to know about it in our own backyard, it just felt like super personal to us. So we're so glad we got to work with you. I mean, it was a terrible way to be introduced, but we're honored to to be working. Terrible way. Yes. But that dog is so spoiled and loved and she could not be happier in a better home. So in the end, it it worked out well for her. I know. I saw those like birthday photos. Yes. Oh my gosh. The sweetest thing I've ever seen. I know. We'll have to include those. Definitely. I know. I don't know that you know yet, but we actually just made a video because it was such a pivotal moment in, in Samantha's life, our, our director of shelter engagement. It was really like a a big shift for her. So we actually just made a video and I'll share that with you a little bit later. Oh, great. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, because it really, there are some stories that just are in the forefront of your mind always. And I think that's one that that Samantha's really held on to and has really given her hope in, in some of these abuse cases. Like, okay, no, we can turn this around. And it's different too when you... Like you said, when it's in your hometown and, you know, we had a few events where everyone could come and meet Chloe and it's, it's just so different, you know, seeing a photo that's halfway across the world or even whatever in LA 
versus, you know, being able to hold her and see her and see how far she's come. And Well, yeah. And, and you know, in Sam's case, I, I mean, she rarely got to meet any of the animals that she would help with. Cause you're right. They would be, I mean, even in California, California is a huge state. It's and those animals would be so far off. And so the fact that Chloe was five minutes down the road to where she lived, I think I just remember her being so heartbroken over it and just being so grateful after when she actually got to meet Chloe and see her in person. Yes. And she, Chloe definitely hammed it up that day. She was kissing everyone and playing with her ball. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but in answer to your question, I, yes, I've always had pets. My mom had large dogs. And so we were just always a pet household. We actually rescued our first animal, our first cat from a horrific abuse case. My aunt was really into cats. She had 11 or 12 of them that she just rescued from around the neighborhood. And he'd been thrown from a balcony. So we took him in. And at the time, my dad was working like weird hours. So he would come home super late and leave super early. So we had the cat for quite a while (laughs) before he even realized. And then we rescued a dog and he came in and the dog would not let him into the house because it was like midnight and everyone was asleep. So he's yelling for my mom at the front door. (laughs) He's like, so what's this dog? She's like, don't worry about it. We're just keeping it. We're finding it a new home. Just don't worry about it. And then after three weeks, he said, we're not finding the dog at home, right? We're keeping it. She's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Just don't worry about it. So we always had rescue dogs. And then my brother parlayed that into fish and an iguana, a hedgehog, turtles, tarantulas. So we've always just kind of had a a zoo coming in and out of our house. I love the don't worry about it. Because I remember with my first dog, my uh, sister, she brought him home and my parents were like, what, like, what is this dog? What are you doing with it? And she's like, don't worry about it. And they just, they were like, okay. And then ended up two weeks later, he was officially ours. Yeah. That's been my go-to now forever. Like, don't worry about it. We had to fly a puppy home from, we found on vacation and the stewardess was worried. I'm like, don't worry about it. I've done it before. My husband's like, what's this? What's this new foster? I'm like, don't worry about it. It'll get adopted eventually, (laughs) he or she. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. That's a dangerous game. That's the easy (laughs) go-to. It is. Well then, and so how did you get involved? Are you the original founder of Fix Long Beach or how did you? Yeah, I'm not the founder. I had always volunteered like as an adult at the different kind of county and city shelters. And as I moved from apartment to apartment or whatever my job dictated, um, I would go to the local shelters. And then when I landed in Long Beach permanently, I started volunteering around here. And I found an organization that handed out food to pets of the homeless or low income or disabled. And then when they were kind of restructuring, I reached out to the current, the, the founder of the then current founder of Fix Long Beach and said, oh yeah, come, come, we'd love to have you. So I started at Fix Long Beach and she, I think was pretty worn out because at the time Fix Long Beach did basically like pop-up spay and neuter events. So we would go to local parks, get there be about 6 a.m., set up all the tents, and then we would hire mobile spay and neuter bus, which is like an RV to come in and fix 
usually around 50, 50 to 60 dogs and cats in a day. So it was a big event every time we did it. And we got to a point where we were doing it twice a month, once for dogs, once for cats after I took over. But I think she was just really worn out and she did a lot of rescue and a lot of rescue for big dogs. She really had a heart for pit bulls. And as we all know, you know, they're usually more difficult to place. And we live in Southern California where land is at a premium. And if you have a backyard, it's usually not a quarter of an acre or even more than a few hundred square feet. So trying to place large dogs that have energy and need to run around is very difficult. So she was, I think, just really exhausted. And basically I came and volunteered in my real life. I'm an attorney. So I did a lot of pro bono work and still do for setting up animal nonprofits. So I kind of knew, you know, what needed to be done. And she basically was like, okay, I'm tired. And then really kind of phased out. And we sort of moved forward with restructuring a formal board and really turning it into kind of not just this pop-up organization, but a true nonprofit that does fundraisers and fundraising. And really, we've ramped up our rescue and all of our events and really just trying to, to make a difference. So I don't even know how long ago that was now. I'm so, I think it's been been like almost six years since I took over five or six. So it's been quite interesting journey. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine too. I feel like that burnout is just so easy to get to, especially in rescue. I mean, and like, I think it's a little bit different from a lot of other like passions or jobs in that, like every time you reach for something or look at something, you kind of see it in a different perspective. Like I know so many rescuers that are just like, I'm not going to get my latte today because that's funds that could be going to to a rescue animal or microchips. Or like I was on a transport recently and this plane flew overhead and I was with a bunch of rescuers and they were like, oh, we could fit so many animals on that plane. So it's like all consuming like this lifestyle. And when you're dealing with so much and in the ways of like abuse and really hard obstacles, like even at like a a legal level. It's it's so much. I mean, I can totally see that. And I feel like there, it's only recently become like a shift where people are like, hey, <laughs> take a little time for yourself. And like, let's try to have a good balance here so that you can be like sustainable, like personally, as well as as an organization. Well, and you really touched on it. Well, I mean, everything costs money. It's not like, I don't even know what an, a good example would be, but it's not like, it's rare that a rescue dog falls in your lap that's perfectly groomed and super healthy and you get all the records and it doesn't have any behavior issues and it's not afraid and you get 20 million applications for it. It's so rare that that happens and animals cannot communicate and tell us exactly what's wrong and how they're feeling. So it's an expensive endeavor almost every time. And a lot of rescuers are not veterinarians or vet techs. So every time it's a, it's a trip to the vet and it's very exhausting and trying. And I mean, people can't even pay for their own pets vet expenses a lot of times. So trying to round up funds for some animal that is not anyone's is even more difficult. It's very exhausting. Yeah. So, I mean, out of 
out of curiosity, so what were those moves that you made? I mean, you said you like set up a board. Were there any other steps that you took to kind of like shore up the organization? So I think having a a formal board was important and just having not having everything fall on one person. So I think that's a big problem in rescue is that there, first of all, there are a lot of different opinions and then you get social media involved and there are a ton of other opinions about what you should be doing. And I like to say, I'm treating this like my wedding. If you don't have a check to write, I don't need your opinion. because it just causes too many problems and it's too many cooks in the kitchen. Having a board and having volunteers with defined roles, I think is super important because one person just cannot do it all. And having people that are passionate about different areas. We had someone, one of our volunteers that said, oh, I'll, you know, I'll do the fundraising. And then she came to me later and said, I hate doing fundraising. I don't want to do this. I don't want to deal with the vendors. It's, I would rather like round up my friends to come to a fundraiser. And then, so we had a a volunteer meeting and someone else stepped up and said, I did fundraising for my kids' school for years and I love it. I would love to do it. So not overwhelming any one person with all of the tasks I think is, is important. That being said, you know, it is difficult to find volunteers a lot of times or people that are willing to put in all of the time that, that the different tasks take. But when you have a good core group, it does make things a lot easier and everything tends to run more smoothly. Yeah. So you can actually be able to take a step back because, you know, your fundraiser is working on planning out the calendar for the next year and writing the newsletter that's going out. So it doesn't all fall on to one person, especially during tax time when (laughs) the treasurer is dealing with getting everything to the CPA or right now we're going into kitten season. And so I know that really puts a lot of, especially cat rescues, you know, behind the eight ball, just this influx of kittens over such a small period of time. And so as of right now, in comparison to when you first started, how large is your organization? Like how many people do you have working under the Fix Log Beach? We've actually gone through a lot of changes. So probably when we met and we were doing a lot of rescue every month, that was probably our highest. We had like around 15 to 20 volunteers for our pop-up like spay and neuter events. And then we probably had about 25 to 30 different fosters. So right now, because we're focusing on our new spay and neuter clinic, we are not doing rescue, maybe a little bit here or there. We just took in a cat that was on death's door. So stuff like that, but we're not, we work very closely with Sparky and the gang. So we kind of let Sherry do a lot of the the dog rescue because she's so great at it. So our organization has really, and in the last year, there haven't been volunteer events aside from doing stuff online. So a fair amount of our volunteers have kind of moved on to other things or restructured their lives or even moved away. So that's something that you don't really think about, but it happens. So we are always looking for volunteers, especially with our new um, spay and neuter facility right now. So if anyone wants to volunteer, just you can just go to our website or Facebook and just send us um, a message and we'd love to have you. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. We'll include a link too. So people can, can find that a little bit more easily. Cause I know that's so important. Um, especially I know over the past few months, spay and neuter has been so difficult. It feels like just with, I mean, waiting in your car and so many people adopting animals and obviously animals coming out of the shelter environment. So how long were you guys working on this spay and neuter clinic? So, so we took over a vet clinic that wanted to go into semi-retirement, focus on acupuncture and move to Orange County. So we are very lucky that she worked with us and the way that the clinic is set up, they actually used to do all of the spay and neuter for the city animal control years ago. Um, so it was already set up a great way for us to be able to, to take over and, and utilize the existing space. We first looked at it and started kicking around the idea. So we were approached by someone that said, you know, I could raise funds potentially if you wanted to get your own spay and neuter bus. So that was like September, October of 2019. And then we just started looking at different places for lease. So we first looked at this current location in November of 2019. And then we signed and moved in in July of 2020. So the middle, the height of the pandemic but it needed a lot of work. So we basically spent like seven months remodeling, cleaning it out, reorganizing. And we got a very generous donation from Friends of Long Beach Animals. We were able to fully fund a brand new treatment and operating room or suite with all brand new equipment. We needed to do between 30 and 40 span neuters a day. So we're so thankful for that because that just made a huge difference for us. And this might be a silly question. I know it's a span neuter clinic, but do you do other, do you provide other sorts of treatment? So we still have our low cost vaccines, low cost flea meds and dewormer. We also are able to offer low cost dental and blood work. Eventually, we will do wellness days where people can come in if they have minor issues like ear infections or allergies. But right now, we're just doing those services. And then we kind of have some ancillary add-ons. If your animal is already getting spayed and they notice that it needs an ear flush or nail trim or, or something like that, and then some eye issues like cherry eye we're able to do on a limited basis. We have a, a doctor that comes in infrequently to do those. So we're still continuing to focus on the span, neuter, and dental. We've had we've had so many clients coming in for dental because it's I think people are when they're home with their pets more, they're they're realizing like, oh, I've got to, I've got to get on top of this and stay on top of this. So well, I mean, de- historically dental work. I just know at the previous veterinary offices I worked at, dental work was some of the most expensive work out there. And so when, I mean, inevitably, I think like what, by the age of three, 80% of animals have some sort of degree of dental disease and people, because of how expensive it was, they would push it off and push it off and push it off and they wouldn't be able to do it. That's incredible in itself that you're able to provide that. Cause I know that's again, inevitable for most pets to get it. Yeah. And it's really just a, if you're not on top of the dental and then there's an issue, it, it just kind of snowballs. It's a snowball effect. Yeah, you know, we're seeing a lot of older pets 
their owners haven't previously been able to have their dental done and and it can lead to so many other issues and infections. So we're really thankful that we were able to purchase all of the dental cart and ancillaries with the grant from Friends of Long Beach Animals. That's so wonderful. Yeah, I mean, and it sounds like maybe as terrible as it is, COVID maybe came at like a decent time for you so you could really focus on this clinic. Has that been how it is for you? I know we've heard a lot about course, like adoptions are up, (laughs) donations are down, things like that. Yeah. I mean, I think like any other animal rescue, it has been fantastic for the adoption rate and fostering and just making people more aware of the need and also how easy it can be. If you're home anyway, you can easily foster an animal and keep them in the room with you. And that's really what they want and need. So it's been great for the rescue side, obviously not so much for donations because people aren't working and they're staying in and have to save money. For getting the spay and neuter up and running, it was a little tricky at first, just kind of finding contractors and electricians and any kind of the service people to, to come out and even give quotes. But once we got over that hump, it really hasn't affected us too much. I mean, again, not being able to have volunteers come in and help with painting or organizing or having to limit the amount of of volunteers we have come in, that was a little difficult. But in general, it didn't really limit us too much. We had originally been told that we could apply for like a grant or a loan for the building and all of the rehab as a nonprofit, but COVID changed that. I guess a lot of the money tried up. So that kind of left us scrambling to figure out how we were going to take over this building. But in the future, we will, you know, be doing some fundraising and we're always looking for donors and investors. So that's always an option too. Yeah. I mean, this is such a a great cause. I mean, I think it's so, especially during during quarantine and COVID, it it just has felt so difficult. I know just as a foster myself and and Sid Gimsher can agree, a lot of times you feel like you're holding an animal for much longer than you normally would because you can't even get them into a clinic. So I love so much of what you're doing here. It's it's solving so many problems, like all the way down the, uh, for lack of a better word, supply chain. <laughs> So as far as animals currently in your care, I mean, I know you said you took in this cat. Is that, are you you continually taking in animals or is your focus primarily on this clinic totally right now? Yeah, it's really primarily on the, on the clinic right now. The cat was starving and flea infested and she could barely walk. And the people walked to the clinic with her they had found her, someone had dumped her in a cardboard box. So it was, and she really needed fluids right away and a bath. So it was kind of a dire situation where I don't think she really would have lasted much longer for them to be able to ask around and find a rescue or take her to the shelter. But aside from, from that, and, and we actually had Helen Sanders' cat paws contacted us and said that they will take her under their rescue. So aside from kind of these one-off 
situations, we're really focusing on the span neuter clinic. And then, like I said, we're, we work very closely and share space there with Sparky and the gang. So she is continuing to do her dog rescue. I love that you work with like all of these rescues too in the area. Cause I, I feel like sometimes again, this point, you wouldn't be an example of this, but I know sometimes rescue can be a bit competitive and people don't like to work with one another. And, you know, there's sort of that wall there. So I, I really, really like that, you know, you're able to communicate with these other local organizations and you're all sort of working towards the same, the same goal of helping animals. And there's no, there's no wall or barrier that's, that's a preventing you guys from working together. Right. And I think it's just making expectations known. We also work very closely with Zazzy Cats. They do cat rescue. Yes. I'm fostering two of their kittens right now. Oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So Ronnie is my neighbor. Yeah. So things like that make it very easy where I'm like, hey, I need this. And I can in five minutes go pick it up from her living room or whatever. So I think it's it's important again because you know, she'll get really overwhelmed now with kitten season coming. And it's nice to be able to reach out and say, Hey, can you do this? Or like, Hey, if you're over there, can you grab this or drop this off? So I think it's important to work with, with other rescues. And of course, not everyone's going to get along and not everyone's going to be your cup of tea and that's fine. But again, having kind of like a good networking system, not only with your board and your volunteers, but with other rescues is important. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that you're her neighbor. I was over there the past weekend getting um, uh, the kittens I'm fostering for her. Uh, they just need some vaccinations and just a little check. So I was like, next time I'm just going to go knock on your door. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had actually asked her if she would take the cat that was dropped on us. And she said, yes, of course, but she was going out of town. So I just didn't want to add one, one more thing for her to have to worry about. It's nice. Nice to have support and be able to support other organizations. Yeah. Well, and just even like to the support of people who kind of know where you're coming from. It's it's one thing to have support of donors and other communities, but I, I think it's something else entirely to have the support of somebody who knows exactly what you're going through, who's in that same, you know, realm of rescue. I see too here that you guys are doing like a special St. Patrick's Day like promotion. We are. We're doing like a March, a March madness. So if you book and mention the flyer, for an appointment in March, it's $85 to get your cat spayed or neutered. And that includes a nail trim and a microchip and $135 for dogs. And then if they're over a certain weight, there's a little bit of an additional cost just because it's additional anesthesia and sutures and larger cone and big dogs just cost more. So <laughs> as we all know, Anyone who knows feeding a large dog, there's always a premium on them. So yeah, the chips were able to, to include free. We got a grant from Mickelson's Mountain Animals last year. So they generously gave us hundreds of microchips. So that is part of, part of our promotion and really just to get our new clinic out there and the info out there and, and get people to fix their pets. And we wanted to do it in March. Again, before kitten season started and we're just going crazy with cats coming in. I know. I feel like it's like the impending uh, wave is like <laughs> creeping up on us now here. Well, and for, I was going to say for people who don't know what kitten season is, what are the months of kitten season? So I'm not a super cat expert, but usually in March, 
and April kitten season is where all of the stray cats or even owned that haven't been fixed ferals get pregnant and start having their kittens and cats, you know, typically will have five or more kittens. So, and they can start reproducing very early on. So we've seen it happen at just over three months that a a kitten got pregnant. Usually I think it's like the six to nine month range. So kitten season is just all of the cat rescues being overwhelmed by people contacting them saying, I have this cat, it got pregnant, I want to relinquish it, or I found this cat, or I found these kittens in a bush, there's no mom, or, you know, they were, they had a feral mom and she disappeared. So I have these kittens, what do I I do with them? And for the cat rescues, they really get overwhelmed because of the kittens come in without a mom and they're too young, then they have to be bottle fed every two hours, which really takes a lot of time, energy, and skill. I can't do it. And so I really admire the people that that bottle feed kittens because it's so much work. It's really, it's really amazing the people who do it. Truly. I know round the clock, right? I it's, it's literally as if you have like like four infants. It is a very special type of heroic person that does that. And it's just like, I don't need sleep ever. (laughs) And so in California, we have been seeing a longer kitten season because it doesn't get cold and freeze here and the animals don't, you know, like burrow down or die off in the cold. I think the kitten season last year wasn't as bad just because people were home and so they were kind of more aware of their surroundings. If they saw a stray cat, a lot of people, you know, would take it in and try to get on the list to get it fixed or keeping their cats inside because they're home all day. So it'll be interesting to see how this year works out. I mean, hopefully all of the different spay and neuter clinics and rescues have made a huge difference and we'll just see the kitten season numbers and overall stray populations continue to decline. Yeah, absolutely. So are you also, it sounds like you're so connected with, maybe it's just because of the specific specific cat, but it sounds like you're so connected with a lot of the cat rescues in the area. Do you also coordinate like TNR efforts with them or, or is that kind of something that maybe you're looking to evolve into in the future? <laughs> so we've had a few cat rescues and TNR groups contact us. And we've actually, since we started doing spay and neuter surgeries at our new clinic in early February, we've probably already fixed about 10 to 15 stray cats. And I know this month we have 30 more coming in. We are happy to to help any of the groups fix the feral cats because I know there were other spay and neuter clinics that by law for the last year or so have not been able to offer that service. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we have a website, anyone can book online. So we are just here to fix the animals. That's so wonderful too. I know just in like talking to other cat rescuers, like I feel like that's where a lot of like the exhaustion and like the burnout has come from. It's like just having to see what's happened to these community cats because they weren't able to be fixed. So that's such a wonderful service because 
it's not even just like you're helping the animals. It's like you're actually helping these rescuers so much so that they can hopefully see a little bit less of like this horrific uh, lifestyle that, that ends up coming out of community cats. So with six years under your belt, and obviously, I mean, we know Chloe's story very well, but I'm wondering if there's another animal story that really sticks with you as you've, as you've been rescuing animals and working with the community here. There is actually, it wasn't so horrific, but we took in a little, little, little chihuahua. He's probably maybe two and a half pounds. And he was probably dumped because he was very sweet. And he's probably like five or six, but very baby like the way he just wanted to be held all the time. And he loves to be baby talked to. One of our volunteers went out and was able to, he was seen for weeks kind of running on the street. And I'm unclear why someone couldn't just like grab him or literally throw a blanket over him because he was so tiny. He was fearful. So he did try to bite at first, but it was just another case of getting him cleaned up. He was completely flea and tick infested. And then my husband works from home, like most of us do, and sits in his office all day. So we just put the dog on a pillow next to my husband and eventually he warmed up. And now he went to a fantastic home where he's just so loved. He literally has 20 dog beds throughout the house and he knows now to go to the dryer and yip and she'll put blanket in the dryer and heat it up for him. Oh (laughs) my gosh. Yeah. It's such a wonderful, a wonderful story. And she, his mom texts me all the time just saying, thank you so much for choosing us. He's just the love of our, our life. So he may have been dumped because he had probably a luxating patella, his knee, it looks like it kind of pops out and he flings it out to the side. And the vet just said at this point, if it doesn't really hurt him, it's not really something I would want to do surgery on. And it's probably not going to fix it anyway. So maybe he was possibly dumped for that reason, or we never know, but he gets around just fine. And his mom loves to use it as an excuse to carry him around everywhere. So she works at a school in administration. So his first day at school, all of the staff had gotten together and he had a huge gift basket with a bunch of different, most of the toys are bigger than he is, but he had a a really sweet gift basket saying like, welcome, you know, to the school family. And it's just such a sweet love story. Oh my gosh. That's so adorable. And it just sounds like he's living like the in the lap of luxury or that's a nicer uh, lifestyle than I think I'm maintaining right now. So, oh my gosh. Well, so it's so exciting to see what you've been able to do over the past year. I'm wondering if you have, especially it sounds like you've got this great board now. I'm wondering what your goals are for the future in the next like maybe five, five, 10 years. Do you have like some big plans? I mean, we haven't really even <laughs> gotten that far. It has been a lot of work to open this new clinic and just trying to, you know, figure out how we're moving forward and if we're we're going to continue with any of the rescue part or eventually do, you know, the mobile spay and neuter clinics. So I think 
right now we're just really focusing on our span neuter clinic and just getting it really organized and fitting in as many people as our vet can schedule for surgeries so that we're really working on turning off the, the tap of the animal reproduction cycle. Eventually, and probably next year or the year after, we will do, instead of mobile clinics, kind of we'll, we'll do like mobile drop-offs for the people who cannot get to our clinic, which I have to say the, the city of Long Beach the residents here are so helpful. So I see posts on Facebook, I need dog food, or I don't drive, but I have this vet visit. And within minutes, they'll have offers of people offering to drop off dog food or drive their pet along with them to the vet or the clinic or whatever is needed. So we really live in a a fantastic community. But for the people who can't get to our clinic, we are thinking that we'll do drop-off sites at different parks, take our vans, and then drive them to the clinic, fix them, and then take them back home. So obviously, you know, that will have to be coordinated and, and we'll need a lot of volunteers for that. But that's kind of what we're looking at, at for the future. And then eventually just getting more vets in. I mean, if we had enough vets, I would love to do spay and neuter 24-7. A lot of vets aren't interested in doing spay and neuter surgeries for 40 hours a week, which I, I understand we, we are lucky to have a few vets that love doing spay and neuter, but overall it's not, it's not a sexy surgery. So a lot of vets want to do other surgeries, but yeah, just eventually expanding our, the amount of appointments that we can take in and and getting additional vets in. Yeah. And you said you need volunteers for the clinic. So just so people can know what you're looking for, are there specific skills you would need to have? Or is this like an open call? Like you just need people that are there able to help? Yeah. So we don't require specific skills and we kind of, we try to work with people. I mean, I have some people that just want to work on a um, spreadsheet stuff, which is and computer stuff, which is great. We really need people to come in and sit with our the animals during recovery. We have the vet and vet techs and numerous staff, but just to help them feel calmer. So it's a lot like you see the kids reading to the animals at the animal shelter just to keep them calm. That's kind of what we're looking for. And then of course, with animals, there's always cleaning that needs to be done and painting. So anyone who loves to paint or clean. <laughs> we always have a million loads of laundry to to do. Just kind of also to kind of just come in and sort of be a runner and, and help with whatever needs to be done that day. Every day's different. So sometimes it's, you know, helping unload the feral cats. If we have a bunch of feral cats coming in, kind of helping to organize and bring them in from the car van or whomever is bringing them, make sure that they're all tagged and that we know exactly which clipboard goes with what cat and and what's going on. So no, it's not, we're not looking for like anyone with vet tech skills, although that would be great, but just really a good attitude and a a willingness to, to help out. Yeah. I mean, that sounds, especially nowadays, like I feel like people are going to be able to start getting out eventually and be able to give back just by hanging out with animals. I mean, that's like a win-win situation. So <laughs> what a great opportunity there. 
Yeah. And, and again, if anyone wants to volunteer, they can email Facebook, go to our website and, and send an inquiry there. We are open right now, Wednesday through Saturday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. So kind of anytime in those hours. You know, if someone's going to volunteer, we would prefer that they be there for a few hours instead of just 30 minutes. But we're pretty, pretty fluid in our volunteer schedule and, and what they, they are doing. Oh, that's amazing. I know. I was like, I'm going to have to take Sam and head on down there because we're always like, we're always looking for local volunteer opportunities and whatnot and just trying to do our best over here. I know. It's a good uh, kind of like company option <laughs> too. I know you have, because um, we've heard them in the background, you have some personal pets. Is that right? So in Long Beach, they raised the pet limit. So I actually have four of my own personal dogs and then kind of foster here and there as needed and foster cats as well. So yeah, one of my dogs, the one that you probably heard barking, he actually came from Puerto Rico. So he came up to me on the street when he was a puppy and we carted him around for almost two weeks (laughs) while we were there and couldn't find a, a rescue to take him and then just decided to bring him home. So he just turned eight in January. Oh, and did you, you rescued him as a puppy? Yeah, we've had him since he was five weeks old. That's so sweet. That is so sweet. I mean, so we have these kind of like fun questions, so they can apply to whoever <laughs> you have in your home. The first question we have is, what is the naughtiest thing your pet has done? Okay, yeah. I have one and he has eaten through the couch three times. We flipped the cushion over, like repaired the cushion, flipped it over, and then he ate through the other side. Then he ate through a chair and our banister. (laughs) Is this a small dog or a big dog? It's a smaller dog. He's, well, he's like 30 pounds, but he has a giant head. So we have, um the Furbo camera so we could see him doing it, but <laughs> his head fit perfectly in the hole in the couch. So, and you're like talking to him through the Furbo, like, stop. I had a dog like that. I was in a grocery store and I was watching him, my dog, Ben, he's tiny, chews everything. And I swear everyone thought I was probably crazy in the Ralphs. Cause I was like, Ben, stop. And my phone trying to get him to listen. Those are fun. <laughs> no, I feel like it's so like, sometimes you're like, how, how did you even do this? Where there's a will, there's a way. Certainly. So what is one trick your pet has taught you? Oh, nub. we call them nub rubs. So he, the dog that we brought from Puerto Rico, and he teaches everyone this. So it's out there now, but he likes to have his chest rubbed. So he will grab your hand and pull it to his chest so that you rub his chest. Oh my gosh. So we're trying to teach him. I don't know if you guys, have you guys seen these, the dogs and, and now cats too, that use the buttons to communicate? Where I they have go. seen those. Yeah. It's so amazing. So I bought some of the buttons and I'm trying to teach him to some of the buttons, but he's not interested at all. I'm so curious. Cause I've seen a few of them and I'm like, do they, I'm so skeptical. Cause I'm like, are they just hitting the button? Or are they actually like meaning it? So that's, you have to let me know how that goes. Cause that's super interesting. I've seen a few of those. Yeah. Well, one of them, it's she now, her name is Bunny. It's on, on Instagram. It's what about Bunny? 
she strings the words together. It's really amazing. And then if they don't understand, they'll ask her to clarify and then she'll go back and hit certain buttons. It's really, really amazing. Oh my gosh. But my dogs aren't, yeah, they're not interested in that at all. (laughs) No, I know um, someone in our companies, their dog is trained to use like the doorbell to like ask to go outside. But like, it seems like it also maybe bites you because, because I guess one day, like the dog was like, there was like a dead bird outside and he was like, outside, outside, outside. And she's like, no. Yeah. When my husband, before we got married, he lived in a condo and he taught his dogs to ring the bell. Like he had a little bell on the, on the front door and they would go and nose it and ring it when they needed to go outside. So incredible. People are so innovative. It's well, and I guess dogs are so intelligent too. I know. It just makes you think how how really smart they are. Like sometimes I'll talk to my dog and he'll ignore me. And then I see things like that. And I'm like, you're ignoring me on purpose. You know what Selective I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you're smarter than, than you're letting on. Definitely. Well, so our last question here is, what is one life motto you live by? So, and especially it, like thinking about this last year, it's that everyone can make a difference and even doing the smallest thing. So I share it a lot on our Facebook and Instagram pages, but there's a little meme that makes its rounds. And it says, you know, if you can't adopt, then foster. If you can't foster, then volunteer. If you can't volunteer, then donate. And every little thing makes a difference to the organization or the person or the pet. And we saw that, we really, really saw that with Chloe, with the the dog that had been horribly abused. We had people donate from around the world. I think in the end, it was like over a hundred countries, people donated for her care. And some people said, you know, I've skipped lunch today and this, or I'm this was my bus fare. I'm going to walk. And this is my last, you know, $2 or $5. All of those little contributions made such a huge difference and they really added up. And so we we were able to get her the surgery that she needed to put the plate in her leg. And she was in the ER for almost two weeks. So even the smallest thing can have the biggest impact. Oh my gosh. That's so important. And I mean, I love like even relating it back to your clinic too, it's like just a couple of hours of of donating your time, just sitting with animals. I mean, you could be sitting there just reading a book out loud to yourself and you'd probably be doing that at home anyway, <laughs> but it makes such a big difference to these animals who are probably so scared and maybe in like some pain. So that's such a wonderful thing to live by. Absolutely. Diana, thank you so much for chatting with us. This is so wonderful. Love connecting with our community organizations. Thank you for having me. And again, thank you for all the support from Cuddly. It's, it's been a huge game changer for our organization. We're so glad we were finally able to connect with Diana. We love everything Fix Long Beach is doing in our community as far as helping animals and families alike with their low-cost clinic. If you want to learn a little bit more about Fix Long Beach, you can check our show notes or our blog. And as always, remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to leave a review if you have a moment. Remember, reviews push our podcast episodes out to new communities who can therefore benefit from these amazing stories. 
And then of course, if you have time, be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. That's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks guys.